Good morning. I'm Emily. I'll be reading our passage today from John 4, verses 1 to 45. It's a little long, so hang with me. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then come the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. 
I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. This is God's word. Thank you, Emily. That is a long passage, but you read it well. It's the longest passage in our sermon series this fall. But it's also a passage God has used throughout history to, to draw thirsty people to himself. We've been in a series called All Who Are Weary, The Idols That Exhaust Us and The Savior Who Won't. And we've talked about money and work and politics and our dreams. This morning's sermon is an invitation to come to Jesus when our schizophrenic view of sex leaves us exhausted, which is to say, when we view our sexuality as everything and as nothing at the same time. And so we should pray again before we talk about these things. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, you are pursuing us. Not for our harm, but for our good. Lord, I pray this morning, through this worship, through this, through the preaching of your word, through the gathering of your people, that we would lay down the guard of our heart and let you come near and have your way with us. For our good and your glory, we pray. In Christ's name. Amen. I wonder if you've ever been really thirsty. My children seem to be thirsty all the time, especially when mom and dad are holding a Gatorade. If you're holding a Gatorade, like (laughs) your three-year-old is immediately extremely thirsty. Um, When we visit grandma and grandpa in Iowa, it's like a 15-hour drive. Uh, I've said this before, but... To keep potty breaks at the minimum, we often ration water, (laughs) liquids, to the tune of one ounce per age of year of life. (laughs) Uh, I'm only sort of joking. I wonder if you know what it's like to be really thirsty. And I don't just mean eating, you know, a spoonful of peanut butter like I'm thirsty. I mean really thirsty. Uh, my, My friend Jeffrey Tucson told me about this time he was hiking a mountain with his friends, and one particular friend, he almost died of dehydration. They had to call an air support. A helicopter came in, lifted him out of the desert, brought them back to the trailhead, saved his life. Thirst can be dangerous. Sometimes it even causes us to drink things that could actually harm us. I don't think it's a coincidence that thirst is one of 
the major metaphors used in the Bible to describe our spiritual need. It's not the only one, but it's one of the major ones. I want you to consider as we begin this morning's sermon a passage from the Old Testament. It's what God says to his people through the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13, God says this to his people. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewn out broken or cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that hold no water. So hewn out means to carve out, and cisterns is just another name for well. My people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. So two evils, Jeremiah says. First, forsaking God as this fountain. Second, drinking broken water from broken wells. And so I just, I get these pictures in my mind. First one of this, kind of this old school water pumping thing, right? There's a spigot out of the ground in a field and it's this red handle and it's just this guy in just sweating, pumping as hard as he can to get water. And just what drips out is this little brown kind of liquid and, and, and there's this holding styrofoam cup just pumping and sweaty and there's like a hole in the styrofoam cup. And even what he gets falls through, but even if there wasn't a hole in the cup, it's, you couldn't drink it. It's not drinkable water. That's the first image. Second image is of this cool, clean, clear Colorado stream. Like you, you climb a mountain, you just you, you, minus the Giardia, I think it's called. <laughs> but aside from that, you can just drink it. Through Jeremiah, God is saying to his people, you've traded me for sludge. And these images of thirst and water and fountains and sludge become embodied in this conversation that Jesus has with the person we call the woman at the well. We don't even know her name. But we'll see, Jesus knew her and he loved her. So let's look at the conversation in more detail. Verse 3 through 9. Reading again, verse 3 through 9. And he, that is Jesus, left Judea and departed for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, verse 4. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, Ask for a drink from me, a a woman of Samaria. And John prints in parentheses. For Jews have no dealings with the Samarians. As if they didn't know that, but we might not. And so let's talk about all of that. Jesus had been in the southern region of Israel called Judea, which is where Jerusalem is. The capital of spiritual and and, and social life, religious and spiritual life and 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 now he's traveling north through 
this region that's called Samaria. So about 950 years before this, I'll just say 1,000 years before this, a rift opened up between southern, or, yeah, southern and northern Israel. When the United States had our civil war, our nation re, re, like reunited. When Israel had their conflict, they split in two and more or less stayed that way. And they hated each other. And the northern kingdom had their own line of kings in parallel with the Davidic line of kings, the line of David. And, and, and all these kings in the north were wicked. And God sent them away into exile, as eventually he did to the southern kingdom too. But he did it to the northern kingdom first. And when they came back, there was all sorts of issues, more than I want to spend time talking about here now. But I want to say that the northern kingdom also established another place of worship, which is hinted at in this conversation about mountains and where people worship. In the northern kingdom, it was all idolatry. And here comes Jesus through this hated region to sit with a woman from a hated people in the hottest part of a day. We're told it's the sixth hour, so, so noon. In the desert, you don't draw water at noon unless you must. And this woman had to, we presume, because of her past. Or we should say better, because of her present. We're going to find out in a moment. Either she didn't want to be around others, or they didn't want to be around her, or both. And Jesus makes the request of her for water. He doesn't have a bucket, we find out. The well is deep. One pastor described this conversation in terms more familiar to us from America's past, from a darker time, when people made in the image of God had water fountains that were separate and not equal. And it's as though, this pastor said, Jesus walks up to this water fountain labeled colored and asks a woman filling her water bottle, can I use your water bottle? That's edgy. That's going to get some glares at the grocery store. And Jesus didn't care. Then, much to her surprise and confusion, Jesus then offers her No bucket and all, living water. Verse 10 through 15. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and he drank from it as does his sons and livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give to him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. It's not a pleasant experience for her to come draw water at noon alone. I don't think she gets it yet, though. She's intrigued, though. Her interest is there. 
But still, all she can imagine is water that will satisfy her physical thirst. Well, Jesus means to give her more. Says Jesus wants to give us more. It's here this conversation takes an abrupt turn. Verses 16 to 19, we read this. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman said to him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband. For you have had five and the one you now have is not your husband. What you said is true. Verse 19. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Right? She's, she, something's going on here more than I thought. She's saying, go call your husband, he says. There's nothing comfortable about this conversation. It's awkward and charged. In the place of her greatest pain, Jesus puts his finger. Last year I had shoulder surgery. And the doctors reconnected what is called your pectoralis or my pectoralis major into... Um, the bone here behind your bicep. And, and they used a, a cadaver tendon. It's wild to me. That's what they did. They used this wire and what he, he called grappling hooks, which was disconcerting to me that they had to drill into bone, but that's what they did. And, and had physical therapy for, for seven months to recover. And it, I can still feel it if you were to press into my, the insertion point. And, and during the physical therapy, there was a moment that was now really funny and was also terrifying to me at the time. So my physical therapist, he's named Dan, and, and Dan has been working me hard for a couple weeks. And, uh, and I'm feeling it in my arm. My arm's getting sore. And, and there's this one tiny fiber as they stretched things out and sewed me all up. And uh, I'm trying not to gross you out, but that's what they did. And, and they did that. And, and there's this one little tiny fiber that presumably we think got just, it was shorter. And it got, so every time I moved, it was getting stretched a lot more. Just tiny little sliver of a thing. And, and Dan had me on this, this, you know, the padded table. And, and uh, he's got my arm above my head. So this vulnerable position. And he's kind of checking mobility as he did almost every week. And he's just sort of pressing around my shoulder and he gets down to my rib cage and he's just lightly pressing but there's this moment where he just touches and I scream and I yank my arm in and I roll over and I curl up on the padded table to protect myself in the fetal position and everybody is like the table in the middle of a giant room and everybody like looks around (laughs) why is he screaming like a little girl um and I look over at Dan, and he has this look of terror on his face, like he just broke me. <laughs> Which is sort of what I thought he did. And, you know, I had been walking around for weeks, months even, guarded. Because I, 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 knew, I knew this was tender. I, I didn't know how tender, though. Jesus poked this woman. And he did it on purpose. I don't have a husband, she says. Using a lie to tell the truth. Let me see the browsing history on your phone, Jesus says. 
oh, I haven't looked at one bad thing on the internet. That's true, Jesus responds, probably with a smile, a little nod. You've looked at five hours worth. And you're living with someone now who isn't your spouse. Living together as married couples when you're not married is a sin. Sexual intimacy is a gift from God, but only in its proper place. One man, one woman in the covenant of marriage. I mentioned at the start of the sermon our our schizophrenic view of sex that leaves us exhausted. Our view of sex says that both sex is everything and nothing at the same time. On the one hand, the prevailing view in culture, at least one of them, is that we must live out what we perceive to be this deepest identity of who we are, our sexual identity, and to suppress that or curtail it in any way is considered suppressing our very essence. In other words, sex is everything. On the other hand, sex is nothing. It's just people hooking up. It's just bodies coming together. It's nothing more than chemistry or science. This is just this secular view. It, it's, it's nothing. Pornography says it's, 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 it's taking something sacred and, and making it as cheap as common gravel. Nothing's really happening here. That's our schizophrenic view of sex. It's everything and it's nothing. And we're exhausted and confused as a culture. And perhaps some of us individually. I don't know which view this woman had, everything or nothing. Likely it was both. She's exhausted and confused. And we don't know what role she played, whether men just kept throwing her away when they were done with her, or rather, she was the one who just kept leaving. We don't know. Regardless, no one has five failed Marriages, just like that, five. Without physical, emotional, and spiritual trauma. She's thirsty for living water. So are many of you. I've said this before, I'll say it again. The way Satan points out sin and the way Jesus points out sin, very different. Very different. The condemnation of Satan is, is broad and ambiguous and hopeless. The conviction brought by the Spirit of God, however, is focused and narrow and hopeful. Satan tells you you're a loser. That's ambiguous, broad, and hopeless. But if you take your finger and you press it into your shoulder, lightly at first and then with increasing pressure, that's the work of the Spirit. That's like the work of the Spirit. That's how the conviction of God works. Do you feel that? God asks. This particular thing needs to go. Oh, there's more than that, but, but we're, we're going to start here. This particular thing needs to go. Let me help you. Jesus is here to help. He's there to help and he's here to help. 
Which is why the next they get into the conversation about the Messiah, which Jesus says is him and he's here and he wants to satisfy the thirst of hers that nothing else is satisfied. The hour is coming, Jesus tells us, and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And the Father, verse 23, this I'm reading, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So next the disciples, they come back with their food. And the woman leaves quickly. But she's not gone. She just went to evangelize. <laughs> she's been a Christian for like five minutes. And she's going to lead more people to Jesus than most of us ever will in our entire lives. It's beautiful. Verses 27, 28, 29, and 30. Then the disciples came back. Verse 27. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, and inserting to her, what do you seek? Or inserting to him, why are you talking with her? Verse 28, so the woman left her jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of town and were coming to him. They're just coming, they're coming, they're coming. For however awkward and painful it was to have her sin exposed, she took it the right way. Not running from Jesus, but rather a chance to be healed and, 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 and also a way for others to be healed. Her joy and curiosity, they're contagious. I found a better well, she says. The well. And the passage goes on. The disciples, they talk about food really in the same way. Jesus talked about with this woman Thirst as, as a metaphor. Thirst is a metaphor. Food is a metaphor. The disciples want to give them something to eat. Here, Jesus, eat this sandwich. They're a little annoyed. Uh, like, like, why did you already eat? That's what we went into town for. Jesus says, I have food to eat you don't know about. Look at verse 34. Verse 30. My food, verse 34, Jesus says, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Then he tells his disciples about a harvest. There's... There is coming, not not a harvest of fruit or wheat, but a harvest of people. Jesus' food is to do the will of his Father and to reach the thirsty and broken. And he's about to harvest this crop of forgiven converts. A harvest of Samaritans and then throughout time. In verse 39 through 42, we read the result of this unlikely and socially unacceptable conversation. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed two more days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. As much as Christians and pastors might fear talking about the biblical view of sexuality, we must also see the potential of a harvest. I want you to imagine that salvation is is this doorway. Okay, so picture salvation as a doorway, a door. And, and you got to walk through it. And, and, and above that doorway is labeled, or is the word sinner. 
It takes humility to walk through that door. But when you walk through that door and you look back at the sign above the door, it says, forgiven and loved. Earlier in John's gospel, Jesus told the crowd, John 10, 9 and 10, quote, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find, find pasture. Echoes of Psalm 23. I came that my people might have life and have it abundantly. If salvation is a door, don't, uh, and, and Jesus is that door, and, and, and to walk through it first requires that we name sin as sin. If that's what salvation, walking through that door requires, we name sin as sin, then don't be afraid to call, name sin as sin. Because on the other side of that door is life. You've got to see both. Green pastures, rest, clean, clear, cold water. So what does all that mean for us? All that, all, the, all that conversation. Maybe I'll ask a different question. Why are you here? Why are you at Community Evangelical Free Church this morning? We each have different answers to that question. All sorts of different answers. But what I want to say is there's, there's one answer we have in common. Some of you are here because you were invited by a friend, so you came. Some of you found us on the internet and you're just trying us out. So glad you're here. Others, you've been here for years. You're, you're, you're a member of our church. You come every Sunday. This pattern is already there. You just That's what we do. We get up and come to church. It's great. Some of you have wandered away from your faith and, and you're, you're here this morning Wondering, like, could I get back? Could, could I recover that love I had at first? Some of you have no faith at all. You're here, like, like this woman, just trying to figure out, like, the church uses this cryptic language, and I'm trying to, like, wrestle, who is Jesus, and what is this water, and what does it even matter? We're so glad you're here. Others of you, you've been around Jesus for a long time. You're captivated by him. I don't know why you're here through all of that. But in another sense, I know exactly why you're here. Jesus wants more of you. Jesus wants to give you living water. Jesus wants to heal you. I think back to verse 4, verse 23, and verse 34, just quickly. Verse 4 says he had to pass through Samaria. What does that mean? Why? What? Why does Jesus have to pass through that region? He didn't have to pass through Samaria. Jesus didn't have to do anything. He's Jesus. He had to in the sense of the divine will of God to seek the lost. Look at verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship. He's seeking The father is seeking thirsty people through his son. Then verse 34. And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus was on a mission to accomplish his father's work, which was seeking people. Not just people who are his friends. Those who are morally neutral, if there was such a thing. Jesus goes for the harlots, the sinners, the sexually schizophrenic. 
I don't know why you're here, and I know exactly why you're here. You're here at church this morning because Jesus is seeking you. I read an Old Testament passage at the start of the sermon. I want to read one more. You can turn there if you want. You don't have to. I'm just going to read it. It's Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 11 through 13. Proverbs chapter 5, as is much of the book of Proverbs, is, is, is a father's warning to his son or sons. And the father in chapter 5 in particular is warning his son to avoid sexual sin. And the father describes in stirring, vivid language the misery of those who haven't avoided sexual sin. So, so trace a life out from A to B, 30, 40, 50 years, someone who didn't avoid sexual sin. He's looking at his son saying, okay, this is where this goes. It's a warning. He's talking about what happens, like where does this, could this go? Don't let it go there. This is where it could go. Proverbs 5, 11 through 13. At the end of your life, in that trajectory, I, oh, I'm adding, at the end of your life, you groan. Your flesh and body are consumed. You say, oh, I hated discipline. And my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. This picture of the future is bleak and it's supposed to be. It is, after all, a warning. The man groans. His flesh and body are consumed. He laments his folly, and now he's nearly ruined. In short, he's become, in our words, we would call a dirty old man. Nevertheless, there is a ray of hope that is so beautiful. I'll read the last line again. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. To be sure, the man is in agony. He's made a complete wreck of everything. He's at the brink of utter ruin, but he's not yet ruined. And he's in, quote, the assembled congregation. He's in the right place. He is, in our words, the church. The assembled congregation of the people of God is the right place to be broken. He's in the right place because it's the place where the unconditional love of the king is known. You want to be in the assembled congregation, not because mere church attendance is what saves you or by itself what makes us better. That's not it. We want to be in the assembled congregation because this is where the gospel story of forgiveness is celebrated and known and where the gospel story of King Jesus is offered to those who have drunk from broken cisterns. If you have a thirst that nothing else is satisfied, I commend to you the living water that Jesus gives And I want to point out, he lingered with these people for two more days. He's got time. But they had to ask. He'll linger with you till you're healed. Even if it takes a lifetime.
you have to ask. I'm going to invite the worship team back up to lead us in song. Would you join me in prayer? For weeks, for weeks, Lord, I feel we've been plowing heavy ground. And that's hard, and it hurts. Lord, I pray that you would help us. All the fears, all the worries, all the anxieties, all the, all the exhausting work that might even be unearthed even after this Sunday, I pray that you'd come and you'd meet with us as you met with this woman. Quicken our step. Oh, she ran out of town. She ran back into town. Could this be the Christ? Lord, quicken our steps as you break the chains. We pray this in Christ's name.